Section 26 of the Medici, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Medici, Volume 1, by G. F. Young. Chapter 10. Pietro the Unfortunate. Part 1. On Lorenzo's death, Pietro, the eldest of his three sons, succeeded to the headship of the family in the rule of Florence. He himself was twenty-one. His brother Giovanni, who returned from Rome two months after Pietro's rule began, was sixteen, and his brother Giuliano, a boy of thirteen. Pietro was strong, handsome, and excelled in all athletic pursuits, but he gained almost in boyhood the name by which he is always known it seemed merely to require that he should be a party to any project for it invariably to fail of success this peculiarity his qualities of character did not tend to neutralize he had a heedless temperament and was more inclined to occupy himself in sport and amusement than in attending to affairs of state while he was cursed with a haughtiness of disposition which he took no pains to conceal and which ill accorded with the sentiments of republican florence pietro was not a fool as often stated he was simply an ordinary young noble of his day without more brains than other people possessed but the medici had always had more brains than other people possessed it was expected of them and they were not wanted by the florentines as rulers if they ceased to be thus gifted his wife alfonsina orsini was just of the character calculated to double the difficulties created by his own faults she had a full share of the orsini pride and by her unconcealed contempt for the florentines had even before lorenzo's death made herself intensely disliked by them seeing how essentially the medici rule depended upon popularity pietro was evidently as unfortunate in the character of the wife who had been given him as in other matters we now come to an important turning-point in the history of the medici whereas each generation of this family had had to encounter a formidable attempt to crush them storms which they had weathered there was now to come upon them one destined to involve them in many vicissitudes within a year of his succeeding to the rule of florence pietro chiefly from his disregard of republican forms and of that attitude of equality with every citizen of florence which his father had so scrupulously observed began to be very unpopular moreover this unpopularity was increased by his cousins of the younger branch lorenzo and giovanni the two sons of pier francesco the first two generations of the younger branch had evinced no jealousy against the elder branch on account of their more exalted position but in the third generation we find pier francesco's two sons their father having died in fourteen seventy six beginning even in the time of lorenzo the magnificent to grow jealous of the importance of the elder branch and to show a marked coolness towards him and this feeling pietro contrived to excite still more strongly towards the end of the life of lorenzo the magnificent giovanni who was four years older than his cousin pietro fell in love with a lady beloved also by the latter this naturally did not tend to improve matters nor did a lawsuit instigated by pietro which was its consequence whatever the reasons these two cousins of his now began a regular course of hostility towards him 
they fanned his rising unpopularity headed the party opposed to him and declared themselves attached to the liberty of the people which they said he was trying to destroy it was unfortunate for pietro that he succeeded to the rule of florence just when a storm was about to burst upon italy with which it would have needed all his father's ability to cope when death removed the influence of lorenzo men foresaw that it would not be long before italy was again plunged into war but they did not foresee that to wars between the italian states were now to be added those due to contests between france spain and germany of which italy would form the battlefield the event with which this state of things began was the invasion of italy by charles the eighth of france in order to attack the kingdom of naples very possibly had lorenzo the magnificent been still at the helm of italian politics he would have found means to avert this particular invasion but sooner or later similar results would have been certain to ensue for the growing strength of other countries occurring simultaneously with the decline in power of the italian states rendered foreign attacks certain eventually to come upon italy and we are now entering on the time when that change was beginning by which instead of venice milan florence naples and rome taking the lead in european politics france spain germany and england were to become the leading countries of europe the commencement of this new era in european politics is marked by the accession of the emperor maximilian i who in fourteen ninety three was elected emperor on the death after an uneventful reign of fifty-three years of his father the emperor frederick the third milan in fourteen ninety the young duke john galeazzo sforza came of age but he being feeble and indolent his capable uncle ludovico sforza il moro who since fourteen eighty had governed the duchy in his name refused to surrender the rule to him john galeazzo's young wife isabella of aragon appealed forcibly and continuously to her grandfather ferrante king of naples against this usurpation but up to fourteen ninety three the protests of the latter had produced no effect some writers have held that it was because il moro saw himself about to be attacked by naples that he invited the french king into italy there was however no sign that either king ferrante who died in january fourteen ninety four or his son and successor alfonso was preparing any force to attack milan other writers state that il moro having resolved to compass his nephew's death and make himself duke invited the french invasion in order to stir up trouble which would prevent the other italian states from interfering with him whichever was the reason il moro now invited charles the eighth to attack naples and promised him the support of milan france louis the eleventh while he had consolidated france had by his method of doing so crushed to a large extent the spirit of the french nation charles the eighth proceeding to rule on different lines from his hated father had begun to look out for some opportunity for military exploits both to assist in reviving the spirit of the nation and to gratify his own youthful desire for adventure when therefore ludovico sforza urged him to put forward the old angevin claim to naples and to bring an army into italy to attack that kingdom charles eagerly accepted the proposal french imagination was fired by the idea of an invasion of italy 
all classes caught it up with enthusiasm and preparations on a great scale were forthwith made for an expedition which to the french had all the attraction of novelty and romance this expedition of charles the eighth has a special importance of another kind for this was the first exercise of the new power created by a standing army a power destined to create great political changes in europe hitherto the armies of such countries as france and england had consisted of the feudal levies brought to the standard of the king by the barons and the necessity of humouring the caprices and ever-recurring jealousies of the latter when such a force was gathered together greatly nullified its offensive power these conditions tended to prevent wars being undertaken against other countries since they made the invasion of another country far from the homes of such levies a most difficult operation but the new weapon which had been forged by louis the eleventh primarily as a means of crushing the barons and princes of france had altered all this and while making the king supreme over his barons had also put in his hand a formidable weapon against other countries thus it is not surprising that we find historians stating that charles the eighth who had no ability of his own was at this time the most powerful sovereign in europe the reason was because he alone was in possession of this new weapon which his astute father had had the wit to forge and which no other country as yet possessed there was however one other point in which a standing army differed materially from a feudal army viz in the item of cost charles the eighth's army which included infantry artillery and cavalry did not consist of more than about twenty thousand men though this was a great effort for those times but so little had the increased cost of such an army been realized that before it had penetrated any distance into italy charles found his treasury exhausted and had to borrow large sums from the merchants of genoa at the ruinous rate of interest of forty two per cent in august fourteen ninety four charles the eighth started from vienne to invade italy crossing the alps he entered lombardy and was entertained at milan by il moro and at pavia by the duke john galeazzo and there the latter's wife the beautiful and unfortunate isabella of aragon threw herself at the french king's feet to intercede for her house which she was marching to attack but she gained nothing and a few days later on reaching piacenza charles received the news that the duke was dead poisoned it was universally believed by his unscrupulous uncle il moro who at once imprisoned isabella and her four children and notwithstanding that the late duke had left a son and heir proclaimed himself duke of milan meanwhile the other states of italy prepared as best they might to meet this invasion naples against whom the attack was directed awaited it in her own territory rome made no preparations for defence the pope hoping that charles would not molest him venice declared herself neutral tuscany having no particular reason to espouse the cause of naples would no doubt have liked to have done the same but lying right in the course of the french king's march was obliged to defend her territory and tuscany was ill-prepared the many years of peace had worked their usual effect in a want of preparedness for war and to pietro's difficulties on this account were added others 
his disloyal cousins lorenzo and giovanni seized upon this opportunity and at a time when all private feuds should have been sunk made their country's need the occasion for gratifying their private jealousy they sent secret assurances to charles the eighth that they would promote his views and would assist him with money of which as has been seen he was much in need this action of theirs was discovered and they were arrested by pietro's orders no one could have been surprised if they had been executed as traitors to their country or at all events imprisoned pietro however followed the example which his grandfather piero il Cotoso, had set and behaved very leniently toward them simply confining them lorenzo to the villa of cafagiolo and giovanni to the walls of castello they repaid him by escaping thence going to charles the eighth who was then at vigevano and assuring him that the florentines would ally themselves with him against naples if only he would help them to get rid of pietro by this time charles's army was entering the borders of tuscany and laying siege to its frontier fortresses which were defended by such mercenary troops as pietro had been able to collect but these troops being quite unfit to cope with such an army failed to arrest the french the frontier fortress of sarzana which charles attacked at the end of october was soon captured and the french king continued his advance pietro had now only two courses open to him he has been spoken of with contempt by all writers for his action in this crisis but whether this view is correct seems open to question as it would appear to have scarcely sufficiently considered the problem before pietro on the fall of sarzana the only two alternatives possible to him were either to be prepared to sustain a siege of florence by the french army or to endeavour by a partial surrender to induce the french king to pass peaceably through tuscany avoiding the capital the first course meant inevitably in view of the complete disparity in military power between the organized army which charles commanded and florence's mercenary levies the assault and sack of florence by foreign troops had the french king been attempting to conquer tuscany the matter would have been different and florence would have been bound to resist to the end and to fall with honour but this was not the case the french king had no special quarrel with the florentine state so that the sack of the city would have been endured on behalf of another state which had no claim upon florence for such a sacrifice and which though principally concerned had no force to join with her in opposing the french king pietro therefore chose the second course and in order to persuade charles the eighth to accept terms and pass without further aggression through tuscany by the coast road which avoided florence went off in person to the camp of the king of france to try and achieve this by a personal interview he there saw for the first time what a regular organized army was like and if he had not done so before must have realized at once how futile would be any opposition which florence could offer to such a force and that it could only have a result which he was bound at all costs to prevent the french king agreed to pass peaceably through tuscany but would not consent to avoid the capital and required as the condition on which florence should be spared from assault and her territory from devastation that pisa and the fortresses of sarzana sarzanello ripafrata and pietrasanta should be held by him until the conquest of naples had been completed 
most of these places were already in charles's possession while it was only a question of days before all would be so and he had power to hold them for as long as he chose so that pietro in agreeing to these terms did not make any very great concession pietro returned to florence on the eighth november in expectation that the citizens would be thankful under the circumstances for what he had achieved but the seeds so assiduously sown by his cousins at last bore fruit the citizens had not seen charles's army and did not know their own weakness in the french king's strength their pride was wounded by the idea of the surrender of fortresses and the combined result brought matters to a climax pietro was met by a storm of indignation the measure of his unpopularity was now full and there was a general clamour for his banishment and that of his whole family the signoria assembled and promptly passed a decree banishing the medici permanently from the state of florence ninth november fourteen ninety four this banishment was not carried out in the dispassionate manner of that in cosimo's time they were driven to fly from the city for their lives and the signoria subsequently offered a reward of four thousand florins for the head of pietro and two thousand florins for that of his brother giovanni while the mob were permitted by the government to plunder the medici palace which we are told was sacked from roof to cellar and so notwithstanding all that the medici had during a hundred years expended from their private fortune to benefit the citizens of florence there were now robbed from them and scattered to the four winds all those treasures of art gathered with so much diligent labor by cosimo pater patrie piero il gotoso and lorenzo the magnificent a greater collection of art treasures than was to be found in any other single building in europe the destruction of this invaluable collection is pathetically related by the scholarly bernardo rucellai in a long lament over the priceless treasures both of learning and art destroyed on this occasion in the former category were valuable manuscripts in every language collected at great expense and most of them quite unable to be replaced not less deplorable was the loss in the domain of art irrespective of pictures and statues which were plundered many valuable pieces of ancient sculpture exquisite gems cameos vases and countless specimens of the work of the minor arts were destroyed sharing in a general ruin which reduced a palace which had been the admiration of every foreign visitor and the chief ornament of the city to the condition of one sacked by an enemy's troops the contemporary french historian philippe de comines after giving a long list of the valuable things lost in this great act of vandalism computes that over and above what was carried off the money value of what was destroyed represented more than one hundred thousand crowns all that energetic labor and artistic taste had collected in half a century was dispersed or destroyed in a day we have a glimpse of one item among these plundered treasures eight years later viz the four valuable vases which had belonged to lorenzo and which we find in fifteen o two offered for sale in florence isabella d'este marchioness of mantua writes in that year requesting that leonardo da vinci who was then in florence would inspect them for her as she heard they were for sale and would send her a report on them and the price at which they were valued leonardo having examined them was in ecstasies over their beauty 
he reported that all four had lorenzo's name engraved in roman letters on the body of the vase and as to the prices at which they were to be obtained said the crystal vase all of one piece and very fine is valued at three hundred and fifty ducats the jasper vase of variegated colors and encrusted with pearls and rubies on a gold stand at two hundred and forty ducats the agate vase at two hundred ducats and the jasper vase on a silver stand at a hundred and fifty ducats they were evidently too costly an ornament for the marchioness of mantua and she did not buy them they therefore remained in florence and some fifty years afterwards were sought out and repurchased by cosimo i and are now in the gem-room of the uffizi gallery one of the statues taken from the medici palace was made to serve as a monument of this casting forth by florence in ignominy and ruin of the family which had so long made that city's greatness the signoria took from amongst the plundered works of art the bronze statue of judas slain holofernes executed by donatello for cosimo pater patriae which had always stood in the centre of the cortile of the palace and set it up in front of the palazzo della signoria engraving an inscription round its base declaring it set up as a warning to all who should think to tyrannize over florence the inscription was a fine-sounding one and helped as was intended to justify the action of those who had cast forth pietro and his family because he had been unable to protect florence from a foreign aggression with which they themselves were just as little able to cope but it gave no real picture of the case pietro had in no sense tyrannized over florence he had not the power to do so and he had never committed any act which showed that he even had the wish all that he had done was to offend her republican sentiments by what the citizens called a haughty demeanour in after years when a real tyrant came to rule over them they were to find by most bitter experience how very different a thing tyranny was from the matters chiefly of mere outward behaviour which had called forth their complaints against the son of lorenzo the magnificent when with their signoria abolished they groaned under the tyranny of cosimo i with the utmost joy would they have welcomed back the free and untrammelled existence which they had enjoyed under the rule of pietro the unfortunate the members of the family who were thus hurriedly driven forth from florence were the three brothers pietro then twenty-three giovanni eighteen and giuliano fifteen with their first cousin giulio sixteen also pietro's wife alfonsina and their two infant children lorenzo and clarice they fled first to bologna and thence to venice where they obtained a temporary asylum pietro's ignoble second cousins lorenzo and giovanni were not included in the decree of banishment they gained immunity for themselves by abandoning for a time to their permanent discredit the name of medici and taking instead the name of popolano erasing the family arms from the outside of their palace End of section twenty six